0: All right, well, Nathan, you come and preach to us. Good to have Nathan be able to speak to us tonight. All right, I would like to uh, preach to you tonight from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. What I going t- to try to present to you tonight is kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of different uh, things that I've been thinking about lately, and uh, my mind wanders, which is not good because it's really too small to be out there all alone, but uh, hopefully that will come together in a solid point and we'll learn something from this passage. Isaiah 40. Verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort me, ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold, your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? And meted out the heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or hath been his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are as counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon, it is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom, then, will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth down a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot, and seeketh him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image, that it shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the curtains as a heaven, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they that be planted, yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. And behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them by all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he that is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest of Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you just help me now, give me wisdom to to, uh, communicate that which you've shown me in this passage. And I pray that we would be encouraged in the Lord And have all confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, because of the history of this nation, the nation of Israel. And Lord, I pray that we would just glean from this passage what you intend for us to understand. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. To understand what's going on here in the previous passages, talking about King Hezekiah. And if you know anything about the story, Hezekiah was sick and unto death. But he prayed unto God that God would give him 15 more years and God granted him that request. But the downside to that request was Hezekiah compromised. Hezekiah was visited by the, the kings of Babylon. And instead of uh, pushing them away, instead of recognizing them for a, barbarian is not the word I want, uh, an idolatrous people, he brought them into the house and became all about Hezekiah. He wanted them to see how great Hezekiah was. See, in his old age, Hezekiah forgot that it was God that put him where he was. It was God that made him great. And so he, he shows them all of the treasures of his house. He shows them all of the wealth of the nation of Israel. And he fails really to give glory to God. That was what the nation of Israel was to do. To be a light to the nations around them. And Hezekiah failed in that. And you know what happened because of this? God pronounced judgment on the house of Israel. God says, I'm going to judge you. Howbeit, Hezekiah, not in your days, but I'm going to judge your son. But it's interesting, in the very next chapter, there's a message of comfort. Right after God gives judgment, God instructs Isaiah to comfort his people. Why is that? There were still people in the nation of Israel that still served God with a a right heart. There were still people in the nation of Israel that recognized God for who He was and gave Him all the glory. When Babylon came and and carried them away to into captivity, there were some young men by the name of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those were godly young men that stood for what was right. And this message of comfort and encouragement was for those people that followed a man by the name of Hezekiah the great king who threw down the high places, who reestablished worship in Jerusalem, who called out to God when all was lost and they were under siege at the hands of Assyria. They had just watched their neighbors, Israel, be carried off into captivity by the same Assyrians. And Israel trusted in, in God under the leadership of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was was the bulwark. Hezekiah was the leader that led that nation to stand strong and to trust God when all was lost. And yet that same king who did so gloriously for God before was lifted up in pride. Yeah, Babylonian Empire, come in here. Look at all my stuff. Look how great I am. What about God? This message is to those people that still had their trust in God. This message was maybe for those who had their trust in God shaken. Because of the leadership. But this message is to try to help them restore that faith. Get them to recognize that it's not about Hezekiah, it's about God. The message of this passage. Is this God's strength is not diminished. His promises have not been thwarted. Take courage. The first thing that he that he starts off with. He's talking about the kingdom. In this passage, he's he's talking about how that the Lord is going to establish the, the kingdom of Israel. He's already said he's gonna he's gonna judge it. Uh, He's going to have them carried off into Babylon. But one day, he says he's going to restore it. Uh, The voice of him crying in the wilderness. We know that that is the uh, Apostle John. And he says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert and the highway for our God. And when did he say that? When he introduced Jesus on the scene. Where we stand right now in history, we know that Jesus has already come as the Savior. And that's what John is proclaiming when he, when he comes and he says this. But he's also the King of Israel. And he's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom. And that's what he, Isaiah is reminding these these children of Israel, these ones that are are kind of distraught and downtrodden about the situation that they're in. He's reminding them, God hasn't changed his plan. Yes, there's going to be suffering. Yes, there's going to be judgment. But God is still on the throne. The first point that he makes in this passage is God's word is good. He reminds them of the promised Messiah there in verse 3. He reminds them of the promised king. He describes the things that are going to happen in the kingdom. And this started all the way back with the promise to Abraham over thousands of years. Abraham lived uh, around uh, 300 or 3000, I believe it is, BC. So several thousand years before this time. God promised to Abraham that I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a seed, I'm going to give you a blessing. And in you, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's the promise of the Messiah. That's the promise of the coming kingdom. God promised to Isaac the same thing. God promised to Israel the same thing. You think about the, the history of not just Israel or Jacob and, and what... uh Sins and things in his life. Vices that he had overcome in his life. And how the Lord worked in his life. The lessons that he taught him. But you think about. The number of times that the nation of Israel has been. Was attempted to be exterminated. Over down through the history. When they were in Egypt. Pharaoh gave the order to kill all the young men. He gave uh, instruction to the. Uh, midwives there that if the baby came out and it was a boy, they were to kill it. The point was to try to exterminate the nation of Israel, the most powerful nation in the in the earth. They had complete power over the nation of Israel. They were their slaves; you could do with them as they wanted. And the most powerful man says, "We're going to kill them all." Didn't work. How about when they go into captivity to Babylon and Haman has this grand scheme where he's going to kill all the Jews because Mordecai won't bow to him? How'd that work out? God worked in that situation. That's, that's how that worked out. Didn't happen. How about the persecution of the Catholic Church against the Jews throughout the ages? You know, this, this, the Catholic Church, they, they had this idea and it was spread throughout Christendom that the Jews killed Christ. No, our sins killed Christ. They're wrong about that. They thought they were replacing the Jews, they, they thought that they were God's chosen now. The church, the universal, invisible, Hugo Iron Fist of the church, is now replacing Jews, so God's done with the Jews, so let's kill them all. And if you read about the the history of what happened in the 13th and 14th and 15th centuries, atrocities that happened to the Jews, it's not as well documented as as the Aryan uh, genocide of Hitler trying to kill all the Jews. But there was just as many of them killed down. And then Hitler, six million Jews that we know of, slaughtered. Israel now sits on a piece of dirt that's surrounded by people that want to kill them on all sides. Except the sea. I mean, the sea wants to kill you. I mean. But God's promises have not changed the nation of Israel. He's going to establish a kingdom, a thousand-year kingdom with the 144,000 Jews that believe. God's promises haven't changed. What people could survive this? None without God. When they come up out of the land of Egypt, they escape, and they cross the Red Sea. For 40-plus years, they're fed throughout the wilderness. Nature's trying to kill you, just so you haven't figured that out yet. You know, we all get out of here, we go get in a car and drive home in a nice A.C., we get home and we get something out of the fridge and eat it. Okay, It's not how they lived back then. They're wandering around the wilderness For all this time. And God provides for them. A million people running around the wilderness. They're going to die. But God. Provided for them. They had enemies on every side. I already talked about this. But throughout the the biblical... Uh, History had the Egyptians, the Amalekites, the Mesopotamians, the Moabites, the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Ethiopians, the Babylonians, etc., etc., etc. All trying to kill the Jews. You had the evictions from the land where they brought God's judgment upon them. And how many people were killed during those times because of their own rebellion? yet God sustained them. What other nations do we know of were contemporaries with the nation of Israel that we don't know anything about today because they don't exist anymore? How about the Hittites? Were they not a warring people? A strong people? How about the Sumerians? You know any Sumerians walking downtown New York now? How about the Parasites? How about the Canaanites? They're gone. Know any Babylonians? That's a, the first great empire. One of the first great empires. They're gone. But Israel and the Jews are still here. Think about this. There is actually a people group that is about as old as the the Jewish nation. It's the Chinese, the Han Chinese. How many Chinese people are there on the face of the earth right now? 1.4 billion. That's what genocide will do to to your nation when you're targeted like this throughout human history. This is what happens. They're hated on every side. If the Jews hadn't been targeted like this, there'd be as many Jews as there are Chinese people right now. something to think about. But God has sustained them. Despite all of this, (laughs) even today, in our heightened intellectual age, where we've progressed beyond all bigotry and racism, they're still the most hated group of people on the face of the earth. They are the most hated nation on the face of the earth, even to this day. Why? Because they've conquered so much territory. You mean a 10 mile strip along the Mediterranean Sea? Wow. Bunch of tyrants. God has preserved them. Why? Because He made a promise. God's word is good. That's the first thing that Isaiah reminds them. number 2 god's greatness in creation as he lists out some of the things here it's it's important to point out that god made the earth to be inhabited today there are there is a large portion of the earth that is uninhabitable it's called the ocean not how God originally formed it. Okay? And we look around at this creation, we see all the intricacy, and we, we see around us the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. And we look around at all of these things that God, the system that God has put into place to sustain life here. And we think of how beautiful and how glorious and how wonderful it is. But you know, in Romans 8, the Bible says, the earth groaneth and travaileth together in pain until now? Why? Because the earth is under the curse of sin, too. The earth is dying. Why? Because Adam sinned. And we look around at all the glory, and he's going to describe some of the glory here. But think how glorious it was when God originally created it. That's something to think about. We can look at the creation now and think of how great God is. Think of it then. And, and I would recommend, um, I asked pastor if I could recommend this guy. There's a guy by the name of Kent Hovind. Uh, Jacqueline and I actually watched one of his seminars this afternoon. Um, his second seminar, he talks about the Garden of Eden. And based on what we see today, the things, the things that we see today, he lays out an idea of how the earth would have been in the original conditions and why people live to be 900 years old. And why there were giants in the earth in those days, as the Bible says. And why Job talks about Behemoth and Leviathan and these great dragons. Like what? How? What are the conditions that could have produced these things? It would blow your mind of how great God is. First thing he says here: He holds the water in his hand. Who had measured the waters? You think of the the vastness of of the. <laughs> the amount of water that's in the ocean. We can't even. We haven't even gotten to the, all the way to the bottom of the Marianas Trench yet, but it's the Bible says in this passage, all of that water, God holds in his hand. He meted out the heaven with a span. You know there's enough stars out there in the universe for everyone to have over 10,000 for themselves that we know about when we're finding new galaxies all the time. But that heaven he made it out the heaven with a span from his from his thumb to his finger, he made it out the heaven with a span. he just laid it out He formed he knows the mountain, he knows the weight of the mountains, he weighs them in the scales, he knows how much each of them weighs. He holds the hills in a balance, he knows which one's bigger than the other. God is great in creation he created this universe out of nothing and he is in control of it all number three so point number one is God's word is good God's greatness in creation is point number two point number three God's complete understanding. In verses number 13 and 14, he says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord or been His counselor? Do you know how long it takes us to understand us? We never will. (laughs) It's a constant process. It takes years of reading the Bible and applying it to our lives where we can understand how wicked and, and how deserving of judgment that we are. Nobody directed the Spirit of God. God knows all about it. Why? Because He created it. Who 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 With whom did He take counsel or taught Him the paths of judgment Who taught him about nature? Who taught him about all of the the intricacies of how DNA works and how plants get nutrients from dirt? Nobody. He created it. People spend their entire lives researching science. What is science? Observing the natural habitat on the earth And figuring stuff out about it. People spend their entire lives doing that. Science now is spending all of their time chasing a rabbit into a a briar patch. But that's neither here nor there. But even, even understanding the actual origins of creation it's in an inexhaustible study god didn't take counsel with anyone he understands completely all of nature he understands completely all of human nature he knows what makes each and every one of us tick he knows the hairs of our head he knows what is our besetting sins He knows our thoughts are far off. No one instructed God. No one instructed God. God has complete understanding of all things. This is the great God that we serve. This is the great God that is trying to comfort the hearts of the children of Israel. He's trying to paint them a picture that, yes, the situation is bleak. The situation doesn't look good. Yes, you sin and judgment's coming. But don't forget that there's a God in heaven that understands there's a God in heaven that's made a promise. There's a God in heaven that created all of this. I think He has a little power to help you in the situation that you're in. Point number four, God's power over nations. In verses 15 to 25, He talks about the nations. There, he gives some similes here. There, as a drop in the bucket. We use the phrase today, that's where it came from. It's like a drop in a bucket, small dust in a balance. I thought this was kind of humorous. and I don't know if any of you guys ever had the uh, the scales in science class where you had to put the little element on this side and the element on this side and you mix the chemicals together and you have like some reaction or whatever, and you had to get the the balances just right. You had to know exactly how much you were putting in of each thing. And he says that the nations are as counted as a a small dust. So let's say I pick up this little piece of lint right here and I put it on this side of the scale. That's the nations. And on this side is God. It's like small dust compared to God. He taketh out the isles as a very little thing. The isles is talking about um, the the earth as opposed to the sea. He's talking about um, the earth and the habitations of, of men. He said it's a very little thing. And then he gives this metaphor of Lebanon being not sufficient to burn. He's actually talking about burnt offerings that the nation of Israel would have been accustomed, they would have understood what he was talking about here? What was Lebanon known for? Cedar trees, the great cedars of Lebanon. Magnificent trees, huge trees, priceless, invaluable trees. Solomon made a deal with Hiram to get the trees for the temple, the most glorious, grandest building in Israel. He wanted the cedars of Lebanon. And God said, if you took all the wood of Lebanon and all the animals thereof and you made this great burnt offering, it's not enough. What's he saying? Israel, you need to stop doing the burnt offerings. No. No. He's trying to get them to understand how vast he is. Israel, when you bring me that sacrifice... To cover your sins. is by my mercy that I accept that that little lamb. Little lamb, you can't, you can't take away your sin. We've offended God. God can't look on sin. You think that that little lamb is like, oh, I've made penance with God, now I'm good. No, that's not the point. The point is God's mercy. That's why they call it the mercy seat. He's trying to get them to understand it's not a great work for you to bring in this offering. One little sheep for how wicked you are and how great God is. He has all power. He could snuff you out like that if He wanted. But He's merciful. And He loves you. And He's going to sustain you. Lebanon... All of Lebanon, the beast there of it's not sufficient for a burnt offering. How vast, how great is God's power over the nations. And then we see the foolish rendering of God. We see people that try to make a graven image to replace God. They they think that they can they can make some nice thing and and liken that to God because of how beautiful it is and how grand and glorious it is. They can make it out of gold. They can make it out of silver. And they can fall down and worship that thing. Man, it's, it's high value. It's gold. It's silver. You're going to liken that to God? No. God is so much bigger and greater The kingdoms of the earth, they do His will. Many examples of this. He he talks about um, here how that He bringeth princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. He maketh them as nothing. Think of the times that God used the great nations of the earth to accomplish His will. Think of Egypt. And how God used their rebellion against Him to show to the nations around that there was a God in Israel. And how He judged them with the ten plagues and decimated the nation of Egypt. Think of how God used Babylon carrying away Judah into captivity because they had sinned against Him Think of Persia and how God used Cyrus to rebuild the temple. It doesn't happen. Victorious Empire sends money to build vanquished nations place of worship. Huh? Think of how God used Greek culture and then the Romans spreading that Greek culture to spread the word of God in the New Testament. It's not a wonder that it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth, sent forth His Son into the world. Why was it the fullness of time? Because the Romans had conquered the Greeks, and they were spreading Greek culture everywhere. You could travel all over the unknown world speaking Greek and most people understood you. You could print the Bible or write the Bible out in Greek and hand it out to the churches in Philippi and Corinthians and Colossians and Philippi and they could understand it and read it. Why? In the fullness of God, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. God uses all of these things. He uses the Roman Empire to lay a tax on all the people of Israel so that Joseph will end up in Bethlehem the night that Mary has Jesus. Joseph lived in Nazareth over in Galilee before. He wouldn't have been in Bethlehem. But God used used the Roman taxation system to get him in Bethlehem to be born in Bethlehem Ephrata. Our God is great. He rules over the nations. The kingdoms of the earth, they do His will. Lift up your eyes on high, verse 26. Who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts in number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of His might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. So why do you say, O Jacob, my way is hid from God? I'm the God of creation. I'm the God who rules over the affairs of men. I put down kings and I raise up kings. And you think I don't know about what's going on? This isn't just a scolding. He's not not scolding the the nation of Israel. He's comforting them. He says that His ultimate message to them is take strength. I will give you power. I will give you strength. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. In verse 30, He talks about how young men They'll be faint and be weary. Young men are the strongest, the fastest, the toughest group of people that the world has to offer. That's why we send them to war. Okay, We want the, the, the strongest, the fastest, and the toughest. And that's why we send them. So he's saying the best that you the world has to offer, the best that you, Israel, have to offer, offer relying in your own strength. You're going to be faint and you're going to be weary. Don't put your trust in men. Don't put your trust in young men. Don't look at their strength and look, oh man, they're so strong, nothing could take them down. Don't look at them. They're going to be faint and be weary. Wait upon the Lord. Look to Him for strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You walk and not faint. His ultimate message to them is in this world you have tribulation. But understand, I've overcome the world. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. What's he saying? This isn't it. It's not about all about this down here. We need to trust in God. He knows our situation. He is not at His wit's end. He knows what's going on. And so for us today, we, we look at the nation of Israel today who has re- rejected their Messiah. And we look at how that they were scattered throughout the nations after, after the Roman Empire. Since the Roman Empire they've been scattered throughout the nations. But yet, 60 some years ago, 70 years ago, they are reformed as a nation. 1948, and God used another great empire to do that. The British Empire. To bring them back into the land. It's a miracle. There is no other nation like that on the face of the earth. That has been persecuted. That is the most hated group of people. That's scattered everywhere. What happens usually to a nation when it's scattered throughout other nations? They assimilate and they cease to become they cease to be a nation. That's what happens. Not the Jews. God restored them in 1948. What are the odds? God promised them a kingdom. That's the odds. With men, it's impossible. But God promised it. And so one day, it's going to come to pass. We see the things that Starting to, starting to form. They're back in the land. It's a miracle. What does that mean for us? We look, at, we look at the nation of Israel. We're not Israel. But the message of Isaiah for us today is we look at how God has preserved a nation who has been under attack for their entire existence. But God's preserved How great is our God that we serve? Today it's easy to look around at all of the wokeness that's going on, all the God-hating that's going on, and be discouraged and think, there's no hope. We need to take courage because we serve the great and awesome God. That's described in Isaiah 40. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. He said in another passage, we're to storm the gates of hell. He's given us all authority. The lesson that we need to learn from the nation of Israel and how God has preserved it and how he has exercised his power over the nations is we don't need to look to men and to politicians and to culture. We need to look to God. And take comfort in that. Take courage in that. We need to be willing to fight for what's right. We need to be willing to fight for the truth. Maybe even be persecuted for it. But take courage and commit our souls to Him that judgeth righteously. Let's pray.